Trump visits Kenosha as the media gnash their teeth. Nancy Pelosi heads out for a blow dry despite local COVID mandates. And rumors abound that President Trump health is compromised. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Today's show is sponsored by ExpressVPN, my savvy fans. Secure their internet. Join them at expressvpn.com slash Ben. Well, as always, there's plenty of news and we will jump right in momentarily. First, have you noticed things are kind of wild out there? Like, kind of volatile? You may have noticed that there is disquiet on the home front. You may have noticed that the stock market seems to be sort of disconnected from the realities of economics on the ground. You may have noticed that there's still all sorts of controversy about whether we are shutting down or whether we are opening up and all of this. Well, now might be a good time to invest just a little bit in precious metals. In fact, you know it would have been good if you had listened to me like several years ago when I said to invest in precious metals because gold is now at all-time highs. You know who knew that? Birch Gold. My friends over at Birch Gold. I've been telling you since 2016 to invest with Birch Gold. That was back when gold was 1300 bucks an ounce. Now it's hovering around historic highs and there's a lot of contentiousness just around the corner as we all know. What gold really is, precious metals, they're a hedge against inflation and uncertainty. They've never been worth zero. And so you should take at least a little bit of your portfolio and put it in precious metals. If you haven't reached out to Birch Gold to diversify part of your IRA or 401k into a precious metals IRA or just purchase some physical gold or silver from them, do it today. Text Ben to 474747. Get a free information kit on protecting your savings with gold. Again, text Ben to 474747. Open a precious metals IRA today or just invest a little bit in precious metals. Again, text Ben to 474747. They are the team that I trust. Ask them all your questions. And when you feel comfortable and you feel good about it, then take some of your money and put it in precious metals. Text Ben to 474747 to get started. Okay, so as backdrop to everything that is happening, it is important to recognize that the polls do seem to, in fact, be tightening at least a little bit nationally and more significantly in the battleground states. It is pretty obvious at this point that the polls were going to tighten because that always happens. The Real Clear Politics national average just a couple of weeks ago had Joe Biden up something like nine points. Now Joe Biden is up in the national average somewhere around 6.3 points. In the battlegrounds, Joe Biden's lead, the top battlegrounds, his lead is down to 2.6 points. And what we are seeing in a variety of states is that things are getting really close, like within margin of error close. Arizona is within two. Biden is up 2.2 points. Michigan, he is up 2.6 points. Pennsylvania, he is up 4.7 points. Florida, he's only up 3.7. North Carolina, the latest polls show Trump up. And in Wisconsin, Biden is up only 3.5 points. Now, again, each one of those states, the polling is not necessarily super recent. Like if we look at the latest Wisconsin polls, the latest Wisconsin polls have not been done since August 23rd. Okay, some things have happened since August 23rd, namely the RNC happened since August 23rd. This this vast spate of attention paid to the amount of violence in Kenosha. So I would think that right now, Trump has got to be favored in Wisconsin. And if you look at Florida, same sort of deal. Right? The polls are, are very, very narrow in Florida. The latest polls, again, had Biden up by just three points, and that was as of August 23rd. So the latest polls seem to be all around that period, August 23rd. You may have noticed it is not August 23rd, it is September 2nd. So that means that it has been a week and a half since there has been a good poll, a good solid poll from some of these key battleground states, and it was tightening even before all of that. In fact, there were polls that were showing that Trump was up in places like Michigan even before the Republican National Convention. So if you are Joe Biden's campaign, you have to be feeling very disquieted at this point. You have to be feeling a little bit uncomfortable. Now, there are some other polls that are showing that Trump has slipped among key groups. Particularly, there's a poll from USC Dornside Daybreak, which was fairly accurate in 2016, which tracked voter preferences daily four years ago. They're doing so again this year. What they basically have is this same group of people they go to every single day and they ask, how are you feeling about the election? And then they can tell 
from sort of who is switching and who is not, where the various candidates stand. According to USC Dornsife, Trump has lost support from about 9% of voters who backed him in 2016. Their poll shows no major shift in the race during the last few weeks, belying a lot of the speculation that the back-to-back national political conventions and violence in Oregon and Kenosha might have changed what has been an unusually stable contest during the Democratic convention. Biden gained a couple points. Then Trump regained some of that ground during his convention, according to that particular poll. The net result in that poll is that Biden leads by something like 11 points. But again, you know, the, these polls are sort of all over the place, and we do not have any state-specific polls from the battlegrounds in the last two weeks. And it was close before that. So you have to imagine that right now, the momentum is a little bit with Trump. There's also the serious possibility that people are now highlighting that there will be tremendous confusion on election night, specifically because there's been so much focus placed on voting not in person. The Democrats have basically said that everybody should vote early and vote often. Their basic idea is you vote now and you vote in mass numbers right now, before any news breaks, before anything changes, and you lock in that vote before maybe COVID starts to wane or maybe before Joe Biden falls down on the job. Literally, do it before the debates. Do it right now. Lock in that vote for Biden right now. Well, what that could lead to is this vast gap between the election results on election night and the election results a week after election night. It could be a full-scale disaster. In fact, there are Democratic groups that are now warning that on election night, Trump will appear to have won potentially in a landslide, but then... As the votes come in, all these mail-in ballots come in, he'll actually have lost. Now, that doesn't mean that somebody cheated. Martha McSally, in her last Senate run, she, on election night, led by 15,000 votes. And then as the mail-in votes came in, Kristen Sinema ended up beating her by something like 70,000 votes. So there's a huge swing in the mail-in. And that's sort of what they are warning of. Hawkfish CEO, this is a Democratic voting group, he calls the scenario a red mirage. He says, we're sounding an alarm, saying this is a very real possibility that the data is going to show on election night. An incredible victory for Donald Trump. When every legitimate vote is tallied and we get to that final day, which will be some day after Election Day, it will in fact show that what happened on Election Night was exactly that, a mirage. Their model suggests that Biden could theoretically win back something like 10 states that could change from red to blue over the course of the evening, ranging from Florida to Michigan to Wisconsin to Pennsylvania. It could look on Election Night as though Trump won all those places because in the in-person balloting, a lot of Republicans show up to vote day of, but a lot of Democrats have voted largely in advance. They suggest that once 75% of the mail ballots were counted, perhaps four days later, the lead could then flip to Biden's favor, which, of course, would lead to tremendous chaos and tremendous confusion. It's one of the reasons why vast numbers of mail-in ballots are really, really bad for democracy. They are not good. Now, there may be scenarios in which we have to have them. Right? There are plenty of people who literally cannot make it to the polls. That's why they should request an absentee ballot. But the idea that we should all be waiting around for weeks after a contentious election, waiting to see how the mail-ins go, not after the American people have been prepped for literally decades at this point in waiting for the results on election night. Because if those results roll in and it looks like Trump won Florida, Trump won Ohio, Trump won Michigan, Trump won Pennsylvania, Trump won Wisconsin, Trump won Arizona, Trump won Colorado, right? Which is what it could look like on election night. And then over time, it looks like Biden won. There's going to be a lot of disquiet. There are going to be a lot of serious questions to be asked, obviously. So all of this is leading to a, a bit of heartburn for, I think, everyone across the board. And and one of the things that the Democrats could do to end that heartburn, of course, would be to separate off from Antifa and the Black Lives Matter movement. But they will, of course, not do that. And President Trump is taking full advantage, as he should, both for the sake of the country and politically. The fact is that the Democrats have basically set up a mathematical scenario whereby the only way you get these riots to stop is if you, quote unquote, this is what Biden said, bring these people to the table. You bring them to the end. You bring them to the table. And the way you bring them to the table is by conceding 
the false notion that America is systemically racist and evil. And I talked a little bit yesterday on the radio show about where this phrase systemically racist comes from. It comes from Stokely Carmichael, who was once the head of the Black Panther Party. He's the one who shifted the definition of racism from you have done anything that is racist or is that there is a policy that is explicitly geared toward race to anything that has a disparate impact is therefore racist. And so all systems, including capitalism, are racist, right? That shift from actual racism to quote unquote institutional or systemic racism, not the impact of historic racism having impact today, which of course is true. History always has an impact. But the very idea that the systems themselves are so rife with racism that they must be torn down, that phrase is inherently pernicious. It is wrong. It is a lie. America's institutions are not systemically racist in 2020. And if somebody tells you differently, it's because they're trying to sell you something. And what they're really trying to sell you is on their own pathway to power. But Joe Biden actually promised in his little speech about anti-violence that he would bring the violent to the table by presumably making concessions to them. So that is one path. You can do that. You can concede to the arsonists who are setting fire to cities or you can stand up to them. President Trump made clear which one he would like to do. He visited Kenosha yesterday. He visited a bunch of sites of the destruction. He didn't give sort of a big address. He didn't give a, a big speech about what was going on in Kenosha. Instead, he did what presidents very often do when they're in the middle of disaster scenarios. He walked through the disaster scenario. We saw this when Barack Obama would visit the sites of hurricanes. We saw this after September 11th when President Bush visited the visited Ground Zero. As a general rule, I'm not a huge fan of politicians visiting sites of destruction because I don't think they actually are necessarily doing anything. But the fact that Trump is uh, is doing this is not only not unprecedented, it is very well precedented. So he visited Kenosha. You can see behind him the burned out rubble, which was virtually everywhere. And local leaders were praising Trump. Local, I know that the, the media has been playing this as though everyone in the local community didn't want Trump to come. That is not true. I believe that Kenosha, that county, I believe, voted for Trump in 2016. So there are a lot of people who are very enthusiastic about Trump showing up. Here is some video of the local leaders praising President Trump for, uh, for showing up. Thank you so much for your rapid response and the fact that, that you're coming to a small city in the United States. Just saying that that's as important as every other city and the fact that we did get things under control. Uh, this guard has been phenomenal. Our law enforcement people have been working together. We usually work pretty well together in southeastern Wisconsin. Yeah. But this really helps. And Ryan's has a lot to do with that, too. You can tell because you Good. worked with him. So thank you so much. Okay, Trump did pledge some federal help for the local police in Kenosha. He pledged something like a million dollars in federal aid to Kenosha. President Trump did talk about Joe Biden. And he says, Joe Biden won't mention Antifa, but we're the ones who are doing the work. And he's right about this. Again, he's right about this. And the fact that the media are so unbelievably willing to cover for the fact that Joe Biden refuses to mention the source of the violence, it's incredible. I I'm not sure that I have ever seen a media cycle so obviously in the tank for the Democrats. And I'm, I'm including the Obama years. They hate Trump so much that they are willing to completely ignore anything Joe Biden says in favor of what they think he should say. And then they just rewrite the script. So he will spend an entire speech blaming white supremacists for violence that does not really get chalked up to white supremacists, Biden. And then they will just write stories about how he condemned violence, including Antifa and BLM, which he, he obviously did not do. Here is Trump pointing out that Biden was completely nonspecific in all of this. And not only was he nonspecific, he completely avoided mentioning any aspect of left-wing violence. And this is something the media and Democratic politicians have studiously been doing for the last several months, of course. My administration is restoring public safety. We're hiring more police, surging tough-on-crime federal prosecutors, increasing penalties for assaulting law enforcement and for dismantling Antifa. 
doesn't — they don't want to mention the word Antifa. Nobody mentions it. This is a bad group of people. Very, very bad, very dangerous group of people. And uh, we are doing a big number on Antifa. They're bad. Okay, they are bad. And the fact that the media have been running defense for them for a long time is pretty insane. Trump also said that far-left politicians keep saying that the police are racist, which is, of course, true. This is, of course, true. And when Joe Biden says most police officers are good, but the system of policing is systemically racist, you have to understand what he means by that. Okay, again, when people talk about systemic racism, what they mean is that even if you are not a racist, the, the system under which you operate and within which you work and that you, in fact, forward with your work is a racist system. This is what Imbram Kendi talks about. This is what Stokely Carmichael originally talked about, that if you are part of a system that is racist, it does not matter if you have any personal intent to be racist. That does not matter. It does not matter if you have ever done a racist thing. It does not even matter if there's an explicitly racist policy that you're following. All that matters is that you are part of an institution that has produced unequal results. Therefore, you are, in fact, part of the racist system. So when Joe Biden said the other day that most police officers are good, they just work within a systemically racist system, that does not alleviate any of the any of the stigma around police officers. It just says that they are dupes. It says that they are fools forwarding an evil system. Like, that's what that means. It is a dangerous perspective. It is a dangerous perspective that policing in the United States is systemically racist. It is dangerous because it essentially says to everybody that regardless of whether this police officer who is pulling you over is a racist or not, he is operating on the basis of a Gestapo-like racist system that is out to get you. You, are, you could be victimized by this guy even if he's not a racist. In fact, it's even more of a dangerous message. The guy doesn't have to be walking up to your car wearing some sort of Iron Cross tattoo in order for you to freak out. You should freak out just by the fact that he's wearing a police uniform because he's now part of the system. It doesn't matter if he's a black officer. It doesn't matter if he's a Hispanic officer. None of that matters. He is part of the systemic. You have to understand, I'm not making this up. This is directly from Ibram Kendi. This is directly from Robin D'Angelo. It is directly from the original writings of Stokely Carmichael in the 1960s. This is nothing new. This is a philosophy that's been around decades. It's just people thought it was nuts until the last five to 10 years. And it has real consequences. So when Trump says that the left keeps labeling the police racist and this has consequences, he is not wrong. He is very, very right. To stop the political violence, we must also confront the radical ideology that includes this violence. Reckless far-left politicians continue to push the destructive message that our nation and our law enforcement are oppressive or racist. They'll throw out any word that comes to them. Actually, we must give far greater support to our law enforcement. It's all about giving them additional support. These are great people. Okay, he is right about this. And the fact that this is even remotely controversial speaks to the gap in philosophy that's happening in the country. And this philosophy has deep roots. I talk about it in my book, How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps. It has deep roots. It is a serious philosophy. It is wrong. It is dangerous. But we are seeing the results in the streets today. Mike Pence made the contrast clear yesterday as well. He said, we stand with law enforcement, which, by the way, should be a winning message in any sane world. Law enforcement are the people standing between cities and the people who are burning and looting them. In the last campaign, President Trump enjoyed so much support from law enforcement because we're we're going to follow the facts. Justice will be served in every case. We abhor violence in any circumstances. But we're not going to reflexively condemn law enforcement. President Trump, his vice president, our administration are going to stand with the men and women of law enforcement. We're going to let investigations proceed to justice serve. Okay, th- th- this should be a winning message. But unfortunately, right now, it may not be a winning message. 
And that has pretty dire ramifications. Those ramifications include the teaching of American children that America is systemically evil. It includes teaching kids who have not been victimized by the United States, that they are, in fact, inherent victims of the United States. And this has pretty far-ranging consequences, not just for the moment, but for the next several generations in American life. We'll get to that in just one moment. First, let's talk about something super awkward, really, really awkward. I'm going to say the words. You ready? Erectile dysfunction. Oh, yes, that was awkward. But, but if you have ED, it is something that can, in fact, be solved quickly, discreetly, and from home. With Roman, it's easy to talk about this with a medical professional who can prescribe real medication. It is simple, safe, totally discreet. With Roman, you get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. A healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. And then if medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward. It is simple. It is discreet. Getting started is really easy. Just go to GetRoman.com Ben and you complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle. Now there is Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and get it taken care of. Go to GetRoman.com Ben today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. That's GetRoman.com Ben. Again, G-E-T-R-O-M-A-N.com slash Ben. If you got a medical issue, just go get it solved. Honestly, there's no reason to suffer with a medical issue that you can solve as easily as getting in contact with my friends over at Roman. GetRoman.com slash Ben. If approved, you get 15 bucks off your first order of ED treatment. That is GetRoman.com slash Ben. Okay, so there's some pretty dire consequences to this philosophy that America is systemically racist and evil. Patriotism is evil. It's amazing how far reaching this idea has gone. Michael McFall, who used to serve inside the Obama administration, I believe. He, he recently tweeted out, and this is pretty wild. Politico tweeted out this. Children must be taught that America is an exceptional, free, and just nation worth defending, preserving, and protecting, Donald Trump said. Michael McFaul, who used to work in the government, wrote, patriotic education. This sounds exactly like Putin to me. If we have now reached the point in American life where teaching kids that your country is good is considered Putin-like propaganda, like I'm old enough to remember when people talked about how the Russians would undermine confidence in America by talking about how America was racist, how America sucked. Now, the woke perspective is that it is Putin propaganda if you say that America is good, which is totally insane. There are consequences, by the way, to telling children over and over and over again that they live in an evil, racist, brutal, vicious country. There's an incredible Twitter thread today from a person who calls himself Publicola, who is, I guess, some sort of uh, academic working in the major university systems. And he is apparently in an interracial marriage. And here is the thread that he wrote today. Woke anti-racism is child abuse. My family is living the antithesis of Thomas Chatterson Williams' self-portrait in black and white. That's a, a book that has recently come out all about, the, uh, about what it's like to live as a biracial person in the United States. I fear it may damage my children irrevocably. Let me explain. I'm white. My wife's black. When we met, we saw each other's race, but we didn't think that was the most interesting thing about us. We foolishly thought our children would be part of a post-racial future in which all Americans could just be human beings to one another. Then came Trump. I decided I should try to learn more about my fellow citizens who I now realized were completely opaque to me. In contrast, my wife decided she was at war with an immutably white supremacist America. My wife began to read authors like Nicole Hannah-Jones and Michael Harriet. She had a racial awakening, concluding she'd been inauthentically black all her life. My wife came to think that her mind, trained in exclusive private schools and in two Ivy League institutions for a BA and a PhD, had been, quote unquote, colonized. She's come to think she owes her success to being, quote, the right kind of black woman, an inauthentic and white acting black woman who is non-threatening to white spaces. Most disturbing, she's reinterpreted her five decades of life in which she only ever had one very mild story of microaggression as a history of brutal, grinding racial oppression. 
Deep beneath her inauthentic white acculturation is an oppressed black woman struggling for freedom. This is what racial grievance entrepreneurs like Nicole Hannah-Jones have done to my wife's mind. What she's doing in turns the minds of our small children makes my blood run cold. My wife is teaching our children that America hates them and wants to kill them because they're black. Rather than take the birth of our children, ambiguous, innocent, raceless little creatures, as an opportunity to rethink the oppressive American race ideology and not hand it down to a new generation, my wife got woke after Trump and doubled down on anti-racist racial essentialism. Here are three hair-raising stories. First story, she regularly explains to our kids that the police want to kill black people. Blacks are people police like to kill and always have been. They will keep using the pretext that they got scared when unarmed black people reach into cars like Jacob Blake or steal police tasers like Rayshard Brooks, as long as that pretext allows them to keep killing black people with impunity. That's what she told our children, who by plantation logic are among the black population that the police go out hoping to kill every day. Second story. She told our kids that Kyle Rittenhouse, like so many whites, hates black people and wants to kill black people. So he went to a BLM protest and opened fire. When I asked in a neutral way why she thought Rittenhouse had shot those people, she became upset and stormed out of the house not to return for three hours. The obvious answer is that Rittenhouse is a white supremacist. I don't think she even knows that he shot only white people. Any probing beyond this self-evident axiom is too triggering to indulge. By the way, I have no defense of Rittenhouse, a confused, stupid kid whose foolishness and apparent criminal behavior led to his needless killing of two people. Third story. We drove by a poster that said Ahmad with a picture of Arbery. Daughter, who's that? Wife, that's a black man who was killed. My seven-year-old daughter, now trained to think white people hate and want to kill black people like her, went straight to the inference. Oh, so they killed him because they hate black people. My daughter needed no further information to infer that a black man who had been killed was killed because they, quote, hate black people. This is bad enough, but what's, what, but what's worse is that my wife is training her to see herself as one of these universally hated black people whom everyone wants to kill. Let the implications of that for my girl's soul, for the ease with which she will encounter her world, sink in. My wife, again, this is an entire Twitter thread written by a man in an interracial marriage, an academic in an interracial marriage. My wife wants to inherit the wound, the wound, as I've heard Thomas Chatterson Williams say, when she should inherit nothing but joy, love, and a sense of her own endless potential in a world that will reward her for her beauty and brilliance, not punish her for her hatred of her blackness. Why does my wife want our kids to inherit the wound? I suspect it's because due to her parents' successes, who fought the civil rights battles of the 60s and became a surgeon and a teacher, she never inherited the wound herself and has come to feel inauthentically black. After all, Nicole Hannah-Jones and Coates are always telling her how traumatized she should be just because she's black in America. So she has come to believe that only when she viscerally feels the wound that all black people are supposed to feel will she herself be authentic. My wife's father told me he's glad his daughter and Obama too come from the post-civil rights generation because they did not acquire his black rage. This is why Obama could be elected, he said, and why race was never important to his daughter, my wife, until now. Newly desiring to feel the wound, but not able to authentically experience it due to a life of untroubled privilege, she's living vicariously through her kids, trying to inflict the wound upon them. Maybe if she can't be an authentically wounded black person, they can. Like a father who pushes his son into sports in which he could not excel himself, she's pushing her children into a racial grievance that she has read about in books and in the New York Times, but has never had a chance to experience for herself. He says that he is committed to mitigating the effects of what I see as this child abuse where I can until our kids are old enough to read for themselves people like Thomas Chatterton Williams and other thoughtful writers who come from a place of love and healing of our anxious and needless racial wounds. But that is not the philosophy that is being taught on America's college campuses. It is not the philosophy of Joe Biden or the Democratic Party. Their philosophy is that America is systemically racist. The police are out to get black people, that black people are living under grinding oppression every day in the United States. Is that ever likely to lead to racial unity or is that merely rage the Democrats hope to channel into electoral victory? It's a very obvious answer. And I think we all know the answer to that when it comes to the Democrats. Okay, in just a second, we'll get to what the actual message of 
Trump's visit to Kenosha was, and then what the media glommed onto. We'll get to that in just one second. First, let's talk about the fact now, terrible time to go to the auto parts store. In fact, all times, terrible times to go to the auto parts store. Why? Well, because why would you go to the auto parts store? I mean, first of all, they probably don't have the part. They probably have to order it online. Second, they may have the generic part, but not the actual part that you need. Third, they may upcharge you. And fourth, you have to be in like a crowded store with other humans. Why wouldn't you just go to the interwebs and check out rockauto.com? rockauto.com always offers the lowest prices possible rather than changing prices based on what the market will bear like airlines do. Why would you spend up to twice as much on the same parts? Like, for example, let's say you need a Delphi FG1456 fuel pump assembly for a 2005 to 2010 Honda Odyssey. Pretty specific part, right? That will cost you like 354 bucks at a big chain store. But at rockauto.com, that costs you 217 bucks. rockauto.com, it's a family business. It serves auto parts customers online. They've been doing it for 20 years. Check them out right now. Their catalog is unique. It's easy to navigate. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. Head on over to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck. Write Shapiro in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. Again, write Shapiro in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. Okay, so it is pretty obvious what the conflict of visions here is. On the one side, you have a belief that America is inherently a good place. And on the other, you have a belief that America is inherently a bad place. Now, Trump may not understand the deep roots of American philosophy, history, or culture that I talk about in my book, How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps. But he does have a gut-level feeling that America is inherently a pretty good place. And the Democrats have a gut-level feeling that America is, in essence, a pretty horrible place. And when they pay lip service to the Declaration of Independence, it's not because they believe the Declaration of Independence embodies true American values. It's because they believe that, de that the Declaration of Independence is, as Nicole Hannah-Jones has described it, a lie when written. They believe that the founders were racist. They believe that it's time to get rid of American history because American history is replete with cruelty and violence. There's a reason why a D.C. committee yesterday recommended stripping the names of Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin, Francis Scott Key, and others from city government buildings. There's a committee reporting to D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser that has recommended renaming dozens of public schools, parks, and government buildings in the nation's capital, including those named for seven U.S. presidents, after studying the historical namesake's connection to slavery and oppression. In fact... They suggested adding plaques or other context to some of the most famed federal locales in the city, including the Washington Monument. Supposedly, they wanted to, they, they recommended either moving, tearing down, or recontextualizing the Washington Monument. So, great, we'll just pick up the entire giant thing and we'll just move it somewhere. Perfect. Then the White House rebuked the Bowser administration and they removed the recommendations dealing with federal monuments on Tuesday evening. A White House statement called Muriel Bowser the radically liberal mayor of Washington, D.C., which is true. I mean, she literally spent city resources to paint a block with the slogan Black Lives Matter and then renamed it Black Lives Matter Plaza, which is just, I'm sorry, absurd. She said she ought to, they said she ought to be ashamed for even suggesting revisions to the monuments. Listen to how the Washington Post describes this. Revisions to the marble monuments dedicated to presidents who were enslavers. Okay, um, if that's what you learned as like the chief important thing about Thomas Jefferson and George Washington, you're doing America wrong. The White House said President Trump believes these places should be preserved, not torn down, respected, not hated, and passed on for generations to come. So Mayor Bowser pulled down the 24-page report and they shrank it to 23 pages. The page listing eight federal sites the committee identified as needing additional context was then missing. It then went missing. This is not a shock. This is, in fact, the deep-rooted philosophy, unfortunately, of one entire political party in the United States. They just don't like saying that part out loud because they understand that Americans don't particularly like it. Okay, so we have a conflict of visions. President Trump goes to Kenosha to highlight that conflict in visions. And what do the media focus on? The fact that Trump did a riff on soup cans. So he's talking about Antifa. President Trump has this weird, bizarre 
kind of fixation on stories that he hears. Somebody will tell him they were on a plane with a bunch of Antifa members, and it turns into there's a plane filled with black-clad people who are actually running the Biden campaign. Okay, and then Trump did the same thing with soup cans yesterday. This is, it's silly, but is this really the headline from Trump visiting Kenosha? Apparently, yes. This is what trended all day yesterday on Twitter, because the important thing is that Trump said a silly thing about soup cans, not that a city has been viciously burned and looted by a bunch of people who plan on voting for Joe Biden. Here was Trump talking about soup cans. And then they have cans of soup. Soup. And they throw the cans of soup. That's better than a brick because you can't throw a brick. It's too heavy. But a can of soup, you can really put some power into that, right? Yes, sir. And then when they get caught, they say, no, this is soup for my family. They're so innocent. This is soup for my family. Uh, it's incredible. And you have people coming over with bags of soup, big bags of soup, and they lay it on the ground and the anarchists take it and they start throwing it at our cops, at our police. And if it hits you, that's worse than a brick because it's got force. It's the perfect size. It's like made perfect. So people, of course, are like, what? They're calling him soup Nazi, of course. You can see that one coming. And why is he talking about soup? And Campbell's soup was trending and all of this. Okay, so is that a silly little clip? Yes. Does that... Does that vitiate the point that he's making, which is that there are dangerous people who are throwing rocks, bottles, cans of soup at the cops? By the way, it's a real thing. I mean, they actually do throw cans of soup at the cops. Apparently, that's the only thing that's the takeaway. Now, meanwhile, the violence just continues in America's major cities, just continues night on night. So President Trump yesterday, he said, listen, we'd love to help Portland, but they won't let us help them. Here was President Trump yesterday. Would love to help, uh, really love to help Portland because we could solve that problem so easily. We have the people, they're ready. They could be there in less than an hour, less than an hour, and it would all end. And they got a glimpse of that in this great state. They got a really good glimpse of it. It happened very quickly. And now, I mean, I see it. They're already rebuilding. You're already rebuilding your stores. You'll be rebuilding your stores soon, your camera shop. So, uh, we don't want to do that, but at some point we're going to have to do it. Um, so he puts that offer out. And of course, it is completely and utterly rejected by the mayor of Portland, who continues to be just awful at his job. How bad is the mayor of Portland at his job? He's now moving from his condo. So we showed you a video yesterday of people firing fireworks right outside his condo and harassing him outside his condo. So now he's moving. I'm glad that he has those capabilities. There's some people who are living in parts of the city who don't actually have the money to move. All that's going to happen right now in the United States is places that suck, people who are rich are going to leave. That's all that's going to happen. So you're going to get a greater stratification, greater inequality in American society. According to the New York Post, the Democratic mayor of Portland, Oregon, is now moving from his $840,000 condo to avoid rioters who have repeatedly targeted the building, according to a report. The Oregonian reports that Wheeler wrote to his neighbors in his building to say, it would be best for me and for everyone else's safety and peace for me to move from the building that rioters tried to torch on his 58th birthday on Monday. He said, I want to express my sincere apologies for the damage to our home and the fear that you are experiencing due to my position. They're not experiencing fear due to your position. They wouldn't be if you would just stop the rioting and the looting. So he would rather move his house. He'd rather move his home. And he would rather allow people to continue to target him and target people's houses than to stand up to the rioters and the looters. This is a point that was made by the Department of Homeland Security Secretary, Chad Wolf. He wrote a letter to Mayor Wheeler. You remember just a couple of days ago, Wheeler wrote a letter to Trump saying, don't send your federal forces here. Everything's under control. And then somebody got shot in Portland. Well, now the acting Homeland Security Secretary, he wrote, you state in your letter 
There is no place for looting, arson, or vandalism in our city. Unfortunately, you failed to back up that sentiment with any action. In fact, your inaction has fostered an environment that has fueled senseless violence and destruction night after night. For more than three months, Portland has become the epicenter of crime and chaos, with rioters attacking government buildings with the intention of burning them to the ground. As of today, since July 31st, there have been 255 arrests made by local law enforcement and 23 riots and unlawful assemblies declared. Despite this, you have stood passively, arguing that the nightly violence will ultimately burn itself out. The evidence demonstrates otherwise. So Portland continues to be a wonderful place. Meanwhile, Seattle continues also to be a wonderful place. Video from last night shows Seattle Antifa trying to, again, use quick-drying cement to lock police into particular precincts and then burn them. Also, our friend Jason Rands from KTTH, he reports that criminal Antifa activists hid deadly weapons inside tents at a park they were occupying across the street from the East Precinct. They were occupying Cal Anderson Park, supposedly to help the homeless, but... During a sweep on Monday morning, Seattle police found scores of weapons, including a machete, hatchet, homemade spike strips, an unexploded mortar, and well over a dozen makeshift shields. So things are going great in Seattle as well. In Chicago, things are going wonderfully. According to The Blaze, the FBI has reportedly told Chicago area law enforcement to be on the lookout for dangerous gang members looking for a reason to kill cops. According to a report Monday night from WLS, about 36 street gangs have vowed to shoot on sight any cop that has a weapon drawn on any subject in public. The report obtained by WLS is titled, quote, Pact Made by People Nation Gang Factions to Shoot on Sight, they spelled sight wrong, any police officer with a weapon drawn. The report allegedly originated from Chicago FBI officials August 26th and states that, quote, members of these gang factions have been actively searching for and filming police officers in performance of their official duties. The purpose is to catch on film an officer drawing his or her weapon on any subject and the subsequent shoot on sight of said officer in order to garner national media attention. Some gangs purportedly involved in the activity include the Black Pea Stones, El Rukins, Latin Kings, and Vice Lords. So it is pretty obvious that, that what they are attempting to do is if a cop is holding somebody at gunpoint because they're a criminal, they are now going to drive up on the cop and shoot them. According to David Brown, the Chicago police superintendent, who, by the way, is black, he says, I think it's bigger than a suggestion. I think 51 officers being shot at were shot in one year. I think that quadruples any previous year in Chicago's history. So I think it's more than a suggestion that people are seeking to do harm to cops. So things are going well in Chicago as well. Now we're going to get to the media coverage of all this in just one second. And the continuing fostering of the narrative that America is evil and on the verge of another crackdown on black Americans. Joe Biden, remember the great unifier? Joe Biden literally suggested that we're about to re-enter Jim Crow. I am not kidding you. This is Captain Unity and Light over here. We'll get to Joe Biden's pathetic words in just one second. First, as part of our Daily Wire audience, there are a number of ways for you to take in the podcast. You can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or another podcast app. You can also watch our podcast on YouTube, Facebook, or over at dailywire.com. Bottom line, we're making our content available to you anywhere you watch or listen. And now, we're introducing a new upgraded experience. Daily Wire is now on Apple TV and Roku, so members can enjoy all the magical visual elements on this podcast on your big screen, either live or on demand. Find The Daily Wire on Apple TV or Roku and download today. You have to be an insider member to watch live, so head on over to dailywire.com Shapiro and use code WATCH at checkout to get 15% off your membership purchase. The deal is not going to last long. Act fast if you want live shows on your big screen. Plus, the one-of-a-kind, highly coveted, never duplicated, makes Julianne Fry's leftist tears tumbler again. That is dailywire.com slash Shapiro to get 15% off with code WATCH and download the Daily Wire on your Apple TV and Roku today. Another great announcement for you, gang. The Ben Shapiro Show Sunday special is back this week with an all new episode featuring Candace Owens. We'll be talking about the 2020 election, George Floyd, Cardi B, President Trump, and tons of other good stuff. So do not miss out. This Sunday, September 6th, you're listening to the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. 
So as the country continues to remain in a state of chaos, as America's major cities remain under threat of violence from left-wing agitators, Joe Biden is stoking the flames. You know, he's the one who says that Trump is stoking the flames. It seems to me that if you want to stoke the flames of violence, what you should probably do is continue to suggest over and over and over again that America is systemically evil, racist, and targeting black people. So Joe Biden was talking with Kamala Harris, who five seconds ago was calling Joe Biden a racist. I'm not going to let this go because it does demonstrate in full living color how cynical the Democratic manipulation of the racism charges. It's insane. I mean, Kamala Harris called this man not only a racist, but a person who would have kept a little girl like her from going to an integrated public school. A year later, she is running with him for the White House, and she is proclaiming that he's a great racial unifier. So is she lying then or is she lying now? The answer is that she was lying then. Because the fact is, I don't think that Joe Biden is a racist. I just think he's a fool. I think he's a career bureaucratic idiot who was drafted into a position of high power by Barack Obama to make moderates feel more comfortable with Obama's radical agenda. But I think Kamala Harris is a liar, and I think that her lying is is indicative of a greater truth, which is that the Democrats are consistently using the race issue in order to divide Americans in order so they can channel that rage, that outrage into votes. That is the goal here. It's what Obama did in 2012, by the way. Okay, so here was not Kamala Harris, but Joe Biden suggesting that we are on the verge of a new effort at Jim Crow in the United States, at Jim Crow. And now let's just be straight about what Jim Crow was. It was a legal regime that mandated segregation between black and white and the subjugation of black people at the hands of white people. That is what Jim Crow was. It was not a voluntary regime. It was not people opting in. It was a legally mandated regime from the local and state governments of states across the South in this country. Okay, and Joe Biden is suggesting we're on the verge of a new Jim Crow, which is insane. If you're a black American living in 2020, the idea that you are living on the verge of being put back into segregated restaurants and segregated schools and forced to drink at separate water fountains and forced to sit in the back of the bus, this is nuts. This is nuts. And it's horrible for the country that Joe Biden is consistently suggesting that we are on the verge of, boom, with one snap of the fingers, Donald Trump is going to put you in the back of the bus. But this is the same schmuck who suggested Mitt Romney was going to do it. So forget, it ain't about Trump. It's not about Trump. This is the typical Democratic line. Joe Biden suggested that Mitt Romney was going to put black Americans back in chains in 2012. So here he was with Kamala Harris sitting 1,000 feet from each other so they don't COVID each other. And, uh, and Joe Biden suggests that we're on the verge of a new effort at Jim Crow. One of the things that I'm worried about is there is a whole new effort at Jim Crow out there. Yes. You have over, I think it's over, I think it's 33 states roughly that have passed laws, something like 80 some laws that make it harder to vote. In North Carolina, the Court of Appeals said that law was designed with surgical precision. Those were the words of the court yep. to prevent black voters from voting. There's still a significant effort in this administration to make it more difficult for Americans to vote. This is insane. This is nuts. Black Americans have been outvoting their percentage of the population for several election cycles in a row. This is crazy. Okay, and for him to continue to foster this notion that black people are living under the grinding boot of white America, that states like Georgia and Florida and all of these Southern states, that those states are trying to reinstitute voting procedures designed to subjugate black Americans. It's a lie. It's a lie. The decision they're talking about, the Supreme Court decision, suggests that there used to be something called preclearance. Any voting law that went in the South had to be pre-cleared by the federal government. The Voting Rights Act of 1965 suggests this. And the Supreme Court found that after 60 years of change, that the same preclearance was not required. Democrats have been claiming ever since that this was in effect 
an attempt by Republicans on the court to somehow allow the South to resegregate, which is nutty. It's crazy. It's in, it, it's it's legitimately a nuts thing to say. But again, fostering racial conflict is what the Democratic Party is about. Meanwhile, claiming they're all about unity and the media are covering for all of this stuff. So they have a couple of different lines. One is that this is all about Trump, right? Trump is the bad guy here. So the, the New York Times had a headline that is so nuts yesterday that it just, it just demonstrates they're they're just a press agency for the Democratic Party. Here is how they are portraying violence in American cities. Quote, as right-wing groups increasingly move to confront protesters in U.S. cities, demonstrators are assessing how to keep themselves safe. So you see, all the cities were fine. These were just peaceful protesters. And then the right-wingers came. And now the demonstrators are scared. So all, all of what's been happening over the past several months, figment of your imagination. Joining in the figment of your imagination crew were a bunch of very special journalists yesterday. So Molly Jongfast, who's very bulwarking, like she's a very bulwark person. So the bulwark is a, is a kind of, the only way to describe it is kind of a never Trump publication. I, I know a lot of the people over there. I like a lot of the people over at the Bulwark, but Molly Jong Fast being employed by the Bulwark is a disgrace to them. She tweeted out a picture of, of Washington, I believe this is Washington, D.C. And it's just a picture of like a normal street where it says, please enjoy this photo of my burning city. You'll notice it's a hellscape. And she wasn't the only one doing this yesterday. There were a bunch of left-wing journalists doing this. Josh Campbell, he said, good morning from wonderful Portland, where the city is not under siege and buildings are not burning to the ground. I also ate my breakfast burrito outside today and so far haven't been attacked by shadowy gangs of Antifa commandos. Dan Zak of the Washington Post. He tweeted out, Washington, D.C. is simply out of control. And then there's just a little video of people sitting in a park. And then Josh Bresnahan of Politico, he wrote, yeah, D.C. is wrecked. Went for a run in Rock Creek Park and then sat by the Lincoln Memorial for a while. Now going to go to dinners. The horror, LOL. Garrett Hack, another journalist, said, yes, destroyed so thoroughly, the wilderness has reclaimed much of it. Oh, no, wait, this is just a beautiful, peaceful park in D.C. Sheesh. Oh, so you mean like the parts of the, the, the parts of the city that you don't live in are the ones that are having trouble? Can you, the, the elites versus the rest of America, it's, in, it, it's, it's ridiculous. New York Magazine ran a piece that showed pictures of people riding bikes and said, just look at these nightmarish scenes from the hellscape that is New York City. And then their headline was, obviously, New York is a fiery hellscape of crime and misery. Bicycling, meeting friends in the park, late summer produce, nightmarish. All right, so the murder rate is just up like 100%. And in Washington, you see the murder rate is up. And every night there are protests that very often will devolve into rioting and looting over the past several months. But you guys took a picture outside your apartment, outside your Tony apartments, where you get a salary for sitting there and writing bull crap like this. Really well done, everybody. Really well done. Yeah, now that you have, you know, I'm looking outside my window. I don't see a single person dying of COVID. I don't see a single person in the hallway right here dying of COVID. I guess COVID doesn't exist. You know, I, I haven't seen anybody outside right here, like in the hallway, being murdered or being homeless. Homelessness does not exist in, in LA anymore because, you know, I'm looking right now at the door to the studio and there's no one in the studio who's homeless. Therefore, homelessness does not exist in LA County. It's been solved. Guys, people who call it a homeless hellscape, they must be wrong. Do you understand the elitism it takes to say something as dumb as this? But this is the media. It doesn't affect them. None of this affects them, so they don't give a damn. All that they care about is the narrative because that's what they do every day. Journalists, pseudo-journalists, which is really what we should call them. These are pseudo-journalists. They are in the business of the narrative. They are not in the business of considering the lives of people unlike them. It's amazing. I'm Captain Empathy now. Okay, I, who believe that empathy is bad for politics because it, it is. Okay, it, it, there's a whole book called Against Empathy by Paul Bloom. It is correct. The idea of empathy in politics is a bad one because if you identify with solely, you put yourself in the shoes of one other person, you're ignoring the public policy consequences for everyone else. Okay, sympathy is good. Empathy is not good for politics. But if you're talking about sympathy 
forget empathy. You're talking about sympathy for other people. You're talking about helping other people. You might want to get out of your bubble for like five seconds, you, you, you morons. Excellent journalisming. So much journalisming. Molly Jong Fast took a picture outside her window in her Tony Ritzy area of Washington, D.C. Guess there's no problem in Washington, D.C. anymore. Now, speaking of the elites versus the rest of America, so Nancy Pelosi, right, who's been, people aren't taking, they're not taking COVID seriously enough. President Trump, he won't take COVID seriously. And if he did, everyone would be all better. COVID wouldn't exist anymore. Over at the White House, there were people with no mask. Nancy Pelosi, whose entire state of California is completely shut down. And California remains shut down. Hair salons are shut down. Nail salons are shut down. Gyms are shut down. And so we have, I can tell you, because I've seen it, all over LA, basically bootleg businesses. People are driving to businesses that purportedly are closed. They are papering up the windows. And then they're just doing business inside because they still have to feed their families, unlike Nancy Pelosi, who is worth literally hundreds of millions of dollars. But the rules don't apply to Nancy Pelosi, you see, because Nancy Pelosi is one of the important people. Just like Lori Lightfoot in Chicago, the mayor. She's one of the important people, so she got her hair did. And Nancy Pelosi got her hair did. Everybody got their hair did, if you are one of the elites. So everybody who owns the hair salons has to shut down their business. But Nancy Pelosi, she can get her hair did today because Nancy Pelosi is a very important person, unlike you and unlike me and unlike anybody else. The rules don't apply to Nancy Pelosi. There was a video that emerged yesterday of Nancy Pelosi without a mask, walking around a hair salon. There she is. There she is hobbling around that hair salon, really taking that step slowly right there. Walking around with other people in that hair salon, just getting her hair done, no mask, no nothing. Okay, and Nancy Pelosi's people then put out a statement. She got, she confirmed she got her hair did in San Francisco. Here's what she said, KTVU. A trip to a San Francisco, San Francisco salon has turned into controversy for House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, whose office tells KTVU she didn't think she did anything wrong by getting her hair done indoors on Monday. Security footage reported on Fox News showed Pelosi with wet hair and without a mask inside of e-salon in apparent defiance of COVID-19 rules. In San Francisco, face coverings are mandatory in most public settings. Salons may only cut hair outdoors under new rules that took effect on Tuesday. The speaker always wears a mask and complies with local COVID requirements. This business offered for the speaker to come in on Monday and told her they were allowed by the city to have one customer at a time in the business. The speaker complied with the rules as presented to her by the establishment. But on Tuesday afternoon, e-salon was closed. The salon owner has not yet reached the has not yet been reached. But according to Fox News, owner Erica Kius said that Pelosi had an appointment with a stylist to rent space in the Union Street salon. She said it was a slap in the face when she went in, you know, that she feels she can just go and get her stuff done while no one else can go in and I can't work. So Pelosi got her hair done and they gave her a blow dry. And then she appeared that evening on MSNBC looking positively radiant. So saying, by the way, she didn't understand the rules. Everyone in California knows the rules. Everyone in California knows the rules. I live in California. Everyone here knows the rules. You can walk around LA and you will see that hair salons have set up tents outdoors in 100 degree heat so that people can get their hair cut. But Nancy Pelosi is one of the special people. And so the rules don't apply to her. They don't apply to Lori Lightfoot. They don't apply to Chris Cuomo. If you are one of these special libs who takes COVID so seriously that you get to lecture everybody else about how unseriously they're taking COVID, then the rules just don't apply to you anymore. Just like all these leftists send their kids to private school, but then decry anybody who sends their kid to private school. Now, normally I don't call out hypocrisy because hypocrisy suggests that the standard is bad. The standard is bad. The point here is that the standard is bad. People should be able to open their businesses right now. And as we'll see in a second, people are, in fact, opening their businesses. In fact, Maryland has now announced they're opening their businesses. Places all over the country are announcing this, but Democrats are opposing this. They're opposing this. And the same people 
who are announcing that it's bad if you open up your business are going and getting their hair did because they are important people. This is just a complete disconnect between the Nancy Pelosi's, Marie Antoinette. Let them let them eat outdoor hair salons. It's, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable, but it is perfectly believable because of course the rules don't apply to the important people. Okay, so meanwhile, this is the new standard, right? So Nancy Pelosi, she goes and she gets her hair done in a in an establishment where she's not allowed to get her hair done in San Francisco. Everybody knows the rules. If she tells you she didn't understand the rules, it's because she's a damned liar, because she is. Mike Pence points out that, um, you know, forget about her getting her hair done. Nancy Pelosi was condemning the White House for having an outdoor event where some people were not wearing masks and had nothing to say the next day about a march that was happening that weekend with 50,000 people marching without masks in close proximity to one another. Because, of course, this is all hypocrisy. If you hold the right political point of view, then COVID doesn't apply to you anymore. That's the way this works. What's remarkable to me is that uh, that uh, Nancy Pelosi had, to my knowledge, not a word to say about the gathering that took place outside the Lincoln Memorial the next day. I mean, literally thousands and thousands of Americans all gathered. But I would say in both cases, the American people were exercising those God-given rights enshrined in our Constitution to peaceably assemble. We did it on the South Lawn on Thursday night. We did it. They did it outside the Lincoln Memorial on Friday. Now, here is the reality. COVID in the United States is on the wane, except for hotspots where it has not hit before. Right? That is the way that COVID always works. Anybody who tells you that what we are experiencing in the United States is a second wave is ignorant. Places that got hit hard, as I've been saying for literally once, maybe since the outset, places that got hit hard have not been hit again. I've been advocating for a position of of what they call controlled avalanche for a very long time, suggesting that if younger people get this and, and pass it along to other younger people, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. It removes vectors of infection. And then once it has moved through a community, it seems to basically be done. And what we are watching right now across the United States is the fact that this stuff is on the wane. Okay, we are seeing a decline in number of diagnosed new cases in California, in Texas, in Florida, in New York. Okay, New York is still completely shut down. Yesterday, they reported nine total deaths across the entire state of New York, which has 20 million people in it. Georgia, number of diagnosed new cases is down. Arizona, it's way down. They had 14 deaths yesterday in Arizona. And again, deaths are a, a, a trailing it. They're both a they're, they're a lagging indicator, right? So if, if, if there is a wave of cases, you're not going to see the deaths until later. So it's basically died down already in New York, in New Jersey, in Georgia. It's dying down now in Arizona. It's dying down now in California. It's starting to die down now. And you can see it in all the charts. And so people are moving toward reopening. But the problem is that everybody in the political world wants to claim that the reason that all of this happened is because they took significant lockdown measures. That is not correct. The lockdown measures had almost nothing to do with this. All lockdown can do is delay the spread for a small amount of time. And then as soon as you release a little bit, you get the spread again. Lockdowns did not cause the decline. Lockdowns, in fact, were taken were undertaken after the spread. That's why whenever you hear Andrew Cuomo say, well, you know, I, I talked about masking and then I talked about locking down. He locked down way late. He masked way late. It was already well seated in the population by the time he locked down a mask. It had nothing to do with the policies that Andrew Cuomo pursued in New York. It has nothing to do with the policies Phil Murphy pursued in New Jersey. All you can basically do is protect the, the elderly and the vulnerable. That's pretty much all you can do. But here's the problem. A lot of people are invested in the idea that their lockdown policies are what caused their success against COVID. And so now they have no political incentive to relieve the lockdown policies. And that's what you're seeing with Andrew Cuomo. Again, the number of cases in all of New York yesterday Again, I'm looking at the stats right now. This is from Worldometers. 
the number of cases in Manhattan yesterday, which is a population of 1.6 million people. There were 46 diagnosed cases and zero new deaths yesterday in Manhattan. Zero. And they are still locked down. And apparently they have no plans to reopen the restaurants until there's a vaccine, which is completely insane. Because guess what? You may bring about a vaccine next year and half the people may not take it. I mean, frankly, I I see no purpose to me giving a vaccine for COVID to my four-year-old. I don't see a purpose. It is probably safer for my kids to get COVID than to actually get the vaccine for COVID. So what what are we talking about here? We're just going to continue to lock down until the end of time? Then there are the states that don't actually have investment in lockdowns. And here I'm talking about a couple states, one that never locked down and one that did lock down, but then has a governor that is smart enough to recognize that lockdowns are, are not particularly good policy. So the state that never locked down is Florida. Florida instead allowed local authorities to shut restaurants or limit attendance in restaurants. They, they allowed local authorities to pursue mask mandates, but they treated different areas of, of Florida differently. And Florida weathered this thing significantly better, like much, much, much better than a comparable population in New York. If you look at the number of deaths per million in New York versus the number of deaths per million in, in Florida, for example, there's an extraordinary disparity. If we still, like, let's just look at the deaths per million population right now. So here are the top 10 states in terms of death per million population. It goes New Jersey, New York, Massachusetts, Connecticut, Louisiana, Rhode Island, District of Columbia, Mississippi, Arizona clocks in at ninth, then Michigan, Illinois, Maryland, Delaware, Pennsylvania, Georgia, and Florida. Florida clocks in at number 16. Number 16. Okay, but Florida did it wrong, except for how Florida didn't do it wrong. Florida protected the nursing homes. Florida had people tested before they went into the nursing homes. And it turns out that once a population has experienced a significant uptick, then it wanes as it runs through the population. Ron DeSantis yesterday, he said, you know what? We're not locking down ever again. We're done. We're not doing the lockdowns again. DeSantis happens to be somebody who actually is data-driven, unlike, I don't understand how you can say you're following the science in places like New York, when you are literally suggesting that you never reopen when you had nine deaths from COVID, again, a lagging indicator in a state of 20 million people. By what metric? By what metric? Can you ever reopen under those circumstances? I'm not sure there is a cause of death in New York that takes less than nine people a day. Like, what, what are we talking about here? There are probably nine people in New York who die being struck of lightning every day. I mean, like, this is, this is crazy. But here's Ron DeSantis correctly saying, we're not shutting down again because these lockdowns are stupid and useless. We will never do any of these lockdowns um, again. And I hear people say they'll shut down the country. And honestly, I cringe because you know, we know places that have done that. The most draconian lockdown in the world has been Peru, military in force since March. They have the highest per capita mortality in the world from COVID. And at best, what a lockdown will do is delay. It does not reduce the ultimate uh, mortality, but I think Dr. Alice would agree, it creates a lot of other problems uh, with mortality that a, lot of, uh, that a lot of people don't necessarily focus on. Okay, first of all, I just want to point out, that is a dude who's driven by data, and Ron DeSantis is a great governor. Okay, Ron DeSantis took enormous slings and arrows from the media, and he was exactly right. And Andrew Cuomo has gotten nothing but slobbering love, slobbering full-on pornographic love from the media. And he has been garbage. By the way, how bad is Andrew Cuomo? Now, I kid you not, the health department of New York is refusing to release data on the death toll of coronavirus in nursing homes. They say they cannot find the records. Not kidding. According to EmpireCenter.org, early last month, the Empire Center filed a Freedom of Information Law request seeking accounts of all nursing home residents who have died from COVID-19. 
It specifically sought the number who had died after being transferred to hospitals in their last days, which the department has been leaving out of its official tally. In a letter on Monday, the department said it could not fulfill the request because, quote, a diligent search for relevant documents is still being conducted. They said that the information would be provided no sooner than November 5th. Weird, November 5th. What could that date be? Oh, it's two days after the national election. How weird they won't release any data on how they blew it in the nursing homes in New York until two days after the election. Unreal, unreal. So DeSantis got it right. Cuomo got it wrong. But again, our elites don't have to worry about any of this because they're our elites, guys. They're super duper elite. And that means that they never have to deal with the consequences of their own decision. They can just pretend that this is not actually just political malpractice. By the way, again, you don't have to be a hardcore right winger in order to pursue data-driven policy. Governor Larry Hogan is about as moderate a Republican as there is in America. He pursued pretty strict lockdown measures in Maryland. Well, now at a state house news conference on Tuesday, he has announced relaxing coronavirus restrictions across Maryland. He announced that all businesses, including entertainment venues like theaters, can reopen starting Friday. All businesses that were not previously reopened may now do so in the state of Maryland. Establishments can reopen at 50% capacity, including movie theaters and live entertainment, or up to 100 people at indoor venues and 250 at outdoor venues. He says all the states around us have already done this already. Places of worship can also increase their capacity from 50% to 75%. There's still some lengthy requirements, including mandatory face masks and employee training and signage. And also they're going to use advanced registration and payment and stagger performances to reduce touch points and all the rest. But places are opening up that are smart and places are staying closed that are stupid. New York and New Jersey are places that are deeply stupid. What's amazing is that Democratic politicians are still claiming that schools are closed because of Trump. It is Republican governors all over the United States who have been data-driven here. It is Democratic governors who remain non-data-driven. It was Joe Biden suggesting five seconds ago that if the science suggested, he'll shut down the entire country. Here was Joe Biden yesterday, however, suggesting on schools and COVID, we got to get kids back to school. We got to get kids back to school. It's Democrats who won't let kids go back to school. All of Florida is open. All of California is closed. Here was Joe Biden doing this routine yesterday. This picture went viral of a five-year-old boy in Georgia who was just broken down into tears yeah. while he was learning online. What is your message to, to boys like this one, his mother, and of course he speaks for, for millions? My message is when Joe Biden is elected that he won't be sitting there crying. He will be sitting there with his laptop with a smile on his face. Joe has empathy. He understands what families are going through. Okay, Joe has empathy, right? That's all that matters, the empathy. It doesn't matter that he pursues crappy policy. He has empathy. Now, the reality, of course, is that empathy ain't gonna do it. You actually have to change the policy. Scott Atlas, who correctly was brought in by the White House in order to provide a counterbalance to the, one, the single factor analysis put out by doctors Fauci and Burks, who are concerned with one thing and one thing only, lowering the spread as opposed to balancing all of the competing interests and have undertaken a policy unprecedented in human history, which is you lock down entire populations of healthy individuals in order to protect the vulnerable, which has never been done before. It's always been shield the vulnerable and allow everybody else to work. Here was Scott Atlas yesterday saying, listen, we have to get, we have to educate our kids. It is Republicans who are pushing this. Scott Atlas was appearing with Ron DeSantis in Florida, who again has handled this correctly. We cannot sacrifice our children. I mean, there's nothing really higher on the national agenda than educating our children, and the harms of not opening schools are really tremendous. And all that goes with the known uh, evidence that children have very, very low risk uh, from this, this illness. In fact, less than seasonal influenza. So if, uh, if we proceed logically, of course, we're not going to have schools closed. We want to have schools open as much as possible. 
Hey, he is right about this. It's just incredible to me that the Democrats continue to maintain that it is Trump who is shutting down the economy, that it's Trump's fault. Trump wants to open it up. It's Democrats who want to keep it closed. And it is now obvious just how political this is when New Jersey and New York, which have no cases in states of millions and millions and millions of people are continuing to lock down. Okay, we'll be back here later today with much, much more. We'll get to Chris Cuomo, who apparently told Michael Cohen that he's been accused of sexual harassment in elevators. I don't know why elevators, like, I guess escalators are non-sexual harassment places, but elevators, those doors close and, and things change. We'll also be getting a little bit later on today to all of these accusations that President Trump has health problems. Apparently speculating about Biden's health is a conspiracy theory. Doing it about Trump's health is just the way the journalism works. But you'll have to be a subscriber for that. So head on over to dailywire.com and check out the subscriptions available to you. Again, promo code watch will give you 15% off. And while you're at it, pick up a copy of my new book, How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps. You're listening to The Ben Shapiro Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Andrew Clavin Show, The Michael Moles Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. Thanks for listening. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Colton Haas. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Assistant director, Pava Wydowski. Our associate producer is Nick Sheehan. The show is edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Nika Geneva. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. Hey everyone, it's Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show. Donald Trump says Joe Biden and the leftist rioters around the country are being funded by people in the dark shadows. People in the dark shadows say that's a conspiracy theory. Who are those guys in the dark shadows? Plus, we have the mostly peaceful mailbag wisdom that will burn your city to the ground. On The Andrew Claven Show, I'm Andrew Claven. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. PureTalk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let PureTalk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving.